Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. Okay, this is no coincidence because today we're recording this on the 4th of July, which is interesting because I have been trying to get Monica Maggie on this podcast for months now. (laughs) So you'll know why it's not a coincidence. And then also coincidentally, Monica, first of all, thank you for being on the podcast today. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. And not only that it's 4th of July that we're taping this, but also uh, the Sound of Freedom movie is coming out and we have tickets to go this afternoon. So I do you, we saw it last night. Oh, wow. You did. Okay. So it's on your mind and yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep my eyes open, Monica. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to shut them the whole time. (laughs) Um, It was very powerful for sure. Wow. Amazing. Okay. So I want to share with you, Monica Maggie is a Southwest Florida native, and she is the survivor of familiar, familial sex trafficking, which we're going to explain what that is here shortly. Uh, she's the founder and executive director for a Southwest Florida local nonprofit called I Am Fuse, F-U-F-E, and that stands for Free, Unashamed, Safe, and Empowered. After serving as an advocate in her community for four years, Monica knew it was time to use her experience, knowledge, and training to launch a unique survivor-led program. Monica and her team strive to abolish slavery through prevention, education, community outreach projects, rescue missions, and restoration initiatives. Her goal is to have a freedom center opened by 2023-2024, which I think is incredible. I met Monica at our Palmetto School Fort Meyer. She came in to describe about her nonprofit and uh, other reasons too, right, Monica? Because I've hired yeah. to do a lot of my branding. And, and so um, you guys are seeing my hype girl right now and <laughs> why my social media is looking a little bit better, right, Monica? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. You're a woman of many talents. And then all of a sudden I'm hearing about your nonprofit and I'm like, you understand that our Palmental schools, we do fundraising and we do fundraising for national charities and local charities. So our team got to hear your story and our students got to hear your story, Monica. And so this year for 2023, our Palmental School Fort Myers chose your nonprofit to support as our local nonprofit this year, which all over a hundred schools, Palmetto schools choose a local nonprofit. So yours is who we chose this year. Um, First and foremost, um, let's jump right in. Survivor of familial sex trafficking. What is that? Explain uh, to our audience what that is, Monica. Sure. So the definition of familial sex trafficking is when a family member or guardian is the the victim's trafficker or the one who sells the child to a third party trafficker. Um, In my case specifically, I was trafficked by my grandmother and my cousin. 
um, it, she was supposed to just, you know, be a grandma and be babysitting. And she saw and identified vulnerabilities and insecurities that I had, especially with the abusive household that I had. And she um, moved on those vulnerabilities. So that empowered her to say, well, we know a way where we can um, make money out of these insecurities and vulnerabilities. And so that's what she did um, on and off between the ages of five to seven years old. Okay, so first of all, people are listening to this and they're just stopping driving right now because they're like, what is going on? Like, this doesn't even make any sense. And and even just, I'm sure there was a moment in time when you couldn't talk this so matter of fact about this because this 100. is not normal. But when you and I talked before, you also said, yeah, Tina, in in our culture, this can be normal. Can you talk a little bit about that too and what you kind of shared with me and how long did it take before you could actually share this story with people? Sure. So yes, when when my mom found out what was happening, you know, she tried to do the best that she could. So she like went to authorities. Um, unfortunately, 20 plus years ago, there was not enough resources and enough training. Um, for law enforcement and medical personnel like there is today. And so the my grandmother got nothing. There was no charges pressed. Um, and then the cousin got six months probation for some, um, I, we don't, I don't remember exactly what the charge was, but it was something like child abuse or something that didn't really make sense, didn't line up with human trafficking. Um, and my mom just moved on. You know, she... We got our new babysitter. She continued to work her two jobs and we didn't talk about it again. I didn't go through therapy, you know, and some people would be like, well, that's a terrible mom. She just didn't know. She comes from a background in a culture where bad things happen all of the time. I need to make money. I need to feed my, my kids. I need to make sure that they have a roof over their head. So I'm going to do the best way that I know how to protect them and go and work. And we're not going to talk about it because it makes it too real and some parents, especially parents who, you know, may be single parents, um, they just don't have uh, the capacity in, in, in their emotional or mind, state of mind, to be able to deal with it on a daily basis. So that's what we did. We just moved on. You know, I was, then I grew up as a teenager and then um, I was exploited again, again as a teenager. And then really until I, got into therapy and things I didn't start sharing my story publicly um and by publicly I mean as the face of I am Fuse until we were a year in with Fuse. Fuse started in 2021 until 2022 I wasn't really confident in speaking my story I very much when I would talk about my story I talked about it in third party and it was a story about a girl just some random girl um I was able to I did feel confident um, to speak about it and to get therapy around 2017, 2018. But even then I would leave out a lot of the parts. I would not really go into detail um, until most recently in the last year. Wow, okay. So you were just talking about exploited as a teenager. Can you explain exactly what that means too? Sure. Um, and I'll share why I use exploited instead of trafficked. So human trafficking, there has to be proof that there was an exchange of services, you know, so uh, with trafficking, you're buying and selling a person, 
Um, and then your the, the the person selling is receiving services, money, goods, substances. They're getting something in return. It's a transactional piece where exploitation has a lot of the same characteristics, but there's no proof that there was an exchange of money, services, products, or goods. So when I was a teenager, I was about 15 years old. I was sophomore in high school looking for love in all of the wrong places, you know, because especially because I came from a broken home. I had already dealt with all of this trauma or I've gone through all of this trauma. I didn't necessarily deal with it. Um, and I'm just looking for love. I just want to feel loved by a male figure, not necessarily a woman figure. And so I entered this relationship and what we call Romeo and Juliet and this boyfriend, I just fall head over heels. Well, this boyfriend is 23 years old. Um, and very quickly, um, what I think is love and what I think is normal is him saying, you're going to do this for me, or we're going to take these photos and we're going to take these videos or, um, if you wouldn't have this, it wasn't for me. So I need you to do stuff for me, um, in an explicit way. So that's why I say exploited. And that happened until I graduated high school. And when I graduated high school, um, I, be, I think I became too old for this person. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I know, um, and people are listening right now and saying, what this is going on. And so talk about this, like in Southwest Florida in particular, and I know, you know, the statistics across the nation too, but in Southwest Florida, how often is this actually happening to people, either the trafficking, like when the familial or trafficking or exploitation, how often is this actually happening? So the exact number I can't get on the top of my head, but I know one in four children are being um, exploited or trafficked and every 30 seconds, somebody's being bought and sold. And that just, that's nationally, internationally and locally. Every 30 seconds, there's some type of transactional piece, whether it be um, human trafficking or exploitation. Um, you'll see the statistics um, when you look things up like this, but specifically in Southwest Florida, it, it happens all of the time. And, you know, it's hard for me to just say Southwest Florida, but it happens everywhere all of the time because it's as easy as somebody like me, a sophomore in high school, who's a cheerleader, who loves basketball, who goes to church, who is in now at this age, I have two parent home and it's loving. We have everything that I could think of that we need. We have a beautiful house and beautiful cars. I have friends and pastors still looking for love in the wrong places, still having these insecurities, these vulnerabilities. It's like the silent depression, the silent anxiety. And then there's a perpetrator that says, well, I'm going to, I'm going to groom this girl and we're going to become the best of friends. And I'm going to ask her to be my girlfriend. Once I gain her trust and gain her confidence and gain her love. And then I'm going to flip it and I'll exploit her. And that's how quick and easy it can happen. Um, it can be as quick as, you know, I have teenagers that I've mentored where they're the best of the best girls. You know, they're, they're not interested in, in, in sexual things and they're not curious in the sexual way, but they fall so deep in love. And you got a boy on the other side of that phone asking for, well, can I see a picture? Can you send me a photo? And then all of, all of a sudden this photo is plastered all over the internet. And that's what we call CSAM, which is child sexual abuse material. Oh my gosh. Which is a federal oh. crime. 
All right. So um, let's back up a little bit. I want to I want to jump back into the exploitation. Um, what exactly is that when you say you're exploited? So in my experience, um, for me personally, the way that I was exploited was, you know, I was asked to send photos and videos. And when I was hesitant to do so, um, it was a lot of, well, you don't love me. There was a lot of manipulation, a lot of gaslighting, a lot of narcissism where, well, you don't love me the way that you, you say you love me or, um, well, I've done this for you and I've sent you money or I bought this for you or you wouldn't be where you are if it wasn't for me. It's a lot of this trust building and then asking for, you know, CSAM, which is a sexual explicit material or um, doing favors for friends in a sexual matter um, and things like that. It was my experience, but exploitation, again, exploitation is not the same as human trafficking because there's no proof that there was an exchange of money services products or goods. There has to be an exchange for federal law to identify that was trafficking compared to exploitation. And those two things are different than sexual abuse and molestation. There's different categories of these things. And, you know, what as FUSE, we fight for those who are exploited and trafficked because these are, you can, you can, you know, you can buy a drug and use the drug one time. A human being, you can buy and you can sell and you can use over and over and over again. We have testimonials of girls, what we say, turning tricks, but girls servicing someone upwards of 75 people a day. And that is a chronic trafficking situation. And how old are these girls? Um, I mean, the, the ages run. I mean, 70, over 77% of those who are trafficked are female. And of those 77%, over 66% are adult female. So a lot of that's, for FUSE, that's our biggest um, difference is we're an organization that really services adult women. Now, if we get someone who says, hey, I have this 17, 16, 15, 14 year old, we have awesome partnerships in Southwest Florida and we'll say, hey, we'll do the intake, we'll get you connected, but we're gonna refer you here to a safe and an excellent organization that helps with those who are under, under the age of 18. But specifically for us, we help victims who are over the age of 18. Because of my story, I didn't get the help that I needed and I didn't identify as a survivor until I was already 18 because I just didn't understand. Yeah. And uh, let's go back to turning tricks. What is that? So that's servicing, that's servicing a John, that's servicing, um, that's whether it be working the streets, whether it be online, whether it be in the clubs, whether it be in the comfort of your own home or the comfort of, and I use comfort, like, why would, why would you, Monica, why would you ever say comfort? Because that's the reality. The reality is, is people can be trafficked in their own home and they think it's normal and they think it's healthy and they think it's okay. Um, but turning tricks or, you know, working, a working girl, sometimes it's what can be explained. It is a, it is a person who is servicing someone. How do you um, help people? Like, give me some um, strategy to this. Sure. So there, there's a couple of ways that uh, specifically I get involved um, and then I can talk about how you can get involved outside of us, but how we help people is um, right now, 
we um, we obviously have our websites and social media and word of mouth. So um, we have a presence, especially in Lee County in Southwest Florida, where um, people are starting to know who we are and what we do. And they're starting to know that I'm a survivor. Because I'm a survivor, I have that a little bit of rapport with those who are currently in the commercial sex industry, which are these working girls. So they're able to reach out. They My phone number is very readily available all over our sites. All they have to do is text, call, or email, or they can go right onto our website and go on the chat. And they have to just put the keywords, I am fused. And that's what prompts me and my team to say, okay, if they're saying I am fused, this is a survivor that's needing help. Um, if needed, then we get law enforcement involved. Um, so it's, and then we go through the process of intake. So that's a little bit word of mouth. There's other ways where I've gone to schools and spoken at schools and I've gotten pulled aside afterwards and they've said, hey, let me tell you a little bit about my story. And I have a couple of questions. They'll tell me their story. They'll ask me their questions. I'll answer them. And then they'll say, well, I'm asking you this because this is what I'm going through right now. So then that's when we'll do an emergency intake right there and say, okay, well, we got to assess the needs. You know, are they currently, it's, is this a 911 like emergency? We got to get them out of there now. Or is this something they have gone through in the last year? Or like, where are they living? What does their job look like? And then we do, we do a full intake. And then we assess, do we do a non-residential program with them with our organization? Because we don't have a residential program, which means they, they don't stay in a facility that we have. Or do we find a residential program for them and then provide the transportation and the necessities needed to go to this program? Right. So right now it sounds like you're just taking care of obviously non-residential, you know, programs. And so give me like some strategy that you use to be able to help people that are affected. Sure. So some things that we do is, um, you know, we want survivors to get out of this commercial sex industry and we want survivors to be able to live a sustainable life. We want them to live independently um, so that they don't go back to what they you know, would assume they know. Um, and so we help with GED test prep, health screenings, rental assistance. Um, we help with one-on-one um, -on -one counseling, group counseling, equine therapy, um, grocery vouchers, um, and, and work-study programs and things like that. And the reason why I say rental assistance, well, why would you pay the rent? Because the reality is, is traffickers look for vulnerability. Look what just happened in Florida and Southwest Florida. You know, we had one of the biggest hurricanes known in many, many years. And that created a lot of vulnerabilities. There's a lot of single parents or, or college people who are living here who now just lost their entire home. Well, what that is the prime time for a trafficker to come out of the woodworks and say, I can provide a life for you. I can provide a job for you. I can provide things for you. And it, all, all I need is for you to just be my friend or build a rapport or I got connections for you. And so if that means we, we want to prevent trafficking, not just um, help with those coming out of the life, you know, the reality is we want to prevent it. And one of the ways we prevent is helping with grocery vouchers, helping with, you know, if there's a bus pass needed, then we got to get a bus pass or transportation making sure they have rental assistance and things like that. We're trying to minimize the vulnerabilities so they can still live a sustainable life. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I think I'm going to call this be empowered actually. Um, and I think, um, the name of your nonprofit. So I am fused free 
unashamed, safe, empowered, because all of this just empowers you to live what your actual potential you're creating you. Yeah. And so, you know, I want you to talk about why did you call it? I am fused first and foremost. And why did you start your own nonprofit Monica and not team up with other nonprofits? What was your decision on that? Sure. So the reason why I put, I am fused, it's kind of like, um, I want it to be for a survivor and I want it to be for an ally. So I am fused as a survivor. I know now going through what I've needed to gone through. I am free. I am unashamed of my story. I'm in a safe environment in a safe place. And now I'm empowered to now do the same for others. But as an ally, somebody who's saying, I want to link arms with your organization. They can say, well, I am someone who's going to fight for your freedom. I am somebody who's unashamed to be fighting alongside with you and unashamed of your story. I'm somebody who's going to create a safe environment for you and be a safe, safe haven for you. And I'm, and I'm empowered to now educate others and to um, bring awareness of this. And I want to empower you to do the same. So I want it to be a twofold name. And I think that I am makes it just so much personal. So, so much more personal. Um, and then the reason why I did my own, well, I started volunteering um, to in some organizations and they were great. You know, it. Um, I think they did the best that they could, but something that I saw a pattern of was I completely disagreed with um, exploiting a survivor story for capital gain. You know, as a survivor, you know, if I give somebody permission to share my story, share it 100%, that's okay. If, if, it's, if I'm in a program where they're helping me, the least I can do is say, yes, of course, share my story. But when they're exploiting that story over and over and over and over again, getting millions of dollars in revenue, but we're not seeing an improvement in the program, we're not seeing that money reinvested into those that we started this organization for in the first place, that's where I have a difficult time. And so I saw a pattern of that of when I would ask where does the money really go? Like how, what's the percentage? What's the percentage that goes to staff salary? Because the reality is hmm. you have to have a staff. To have something successful, you have to have a staff, you have to have leaders. Um, so that's not the problem, but I wanted to know the percentages. I wanted to know exactly where it went and I couldn't get, I could, I could never get straight answers. Um, I got the, well, here's our annual giving report. It's like, no, 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 that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you internally as somebody who's volunteering with you, Yeah. where is everything going? How, you know, how much goes to their hygiene, hygiene, how much goes to their GED test prep and all of these things. And I said, you know what? I want to create an organization that doesn't exploit survivors for capital gain. Everything is fully transparent. And even now being two, three years in, we're fully volunteer only organization. Eventually will we get paid staff? Of course, but I know my priorities and as we're generating an income, I don't feel confident right now in the income that we have, which isn't small. We have a, we have a great um, budget, but I just don't feel confident yet in hiring someone when, if I get a phone call tomorrow for a survivor saying, I need X, Y, and Z, I'm going to always give to the survivor. I'm going to always give to the need. And so that's kind of what my reality was. And I saw a lot of organizations in Southwest Florida that are phenomenal again, but none of them were survivor led. And I think there's power in being a survivor led organization because 
there is something that I have that even my board members don't have. My board members are phenomenal. They're active. They're amazing. They, you know, I ask for something, they are right there a helping hand. But if a girl coming out of the street or out of the life of commercial sex industry, they're going to identify with me and build a rapport with me faster than they will with one of my board members or one of my volunteers. Yeah. So huge. And that's why I'm calling this be empowered because empowered people empower people. Right. Exactly. And so it kind of goes back to as a leader, you know, you've got to find the right people that are truly going to be a part of your team that want to empower. Right. And so I think this is huge because uh, as I always look to, this is the reason why it might be amazing podcast that I always interview people who own, not own, but are founders of nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I do that, I'm a leadership coach because I learn more leadership principles from people who volunteer or get volunteers to actually work for free than I do for any business owner that actually pays people to work for them. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I want to, I want to understand how did you become the great leader that you are? Because just hearing this, and this is one of the reasons why in our Paul Mitchell school, thank God, when Claybaugh saw this early on, the Dean of Paul Mitchell schools, and, and he's very careful about the national nonprofits that we support because of the same reason that you're talking about. We want that transparency, how much is actually going to admin and how much is actually going to help people because we want our monies to go right to the victims. Of, of these. And so we're very, very particular about who we choose for that reason. And we are the same way for our local nonprofits, you know, doing the research. And so we did the research. You know? And so I would love to hear, how did you learn such incredible leadership principles? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> other than literally, um, I mean, I started working like a legal job when I was 14 years old and wow. I saw the work ethic of my mom, you know, I, no matter what, no matter the obstacles, no matter what she was going through, she wanted to be the best of the best in whatever job she took. And so that's definitely an attribute that I, I had. I mean, I could be cleaning toilets. My toilet was going to be the cleanest toilet out of all of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just wanted to always be the best. I, and, and, and a lot of discipline and a lot of saying, okay, I don't know the answer to this or I don't know, but I'm going to find out. And so I, I continue, even now continuously want to learn, continuously have open, an open mind and an open heart to say, I don't know it all. I don't think I ever will. So I want to be right next to the person who, who I think knows everything. And I'm going to be a sponge and soak it all in. Um, and so I guess that's how, <laughs> other than God, God too. <laughs> yeah, that's the ultimate, right? Ultimate leader. Yeah. I love that so much. And I love the fact that you said, I'm always going to be the best. And, you know, that's kind of a lost uh, trait in people, right? Mm -hmm. And they're just like, I just want to get by. I don't, I don't have to be the best. I just want to get by. I want to be comfortable, right? And so where did that, how did you instill that? And how do you instill that in your team of volunteers too? Like, how do you find people that just want to be the best? What, what's your criteria for that? Sure. So the, how I got that trait and I was able to sustain it um, right when I was um, coming out of 
the second exploitation situation, I started um, in a discipleship program with the church. And one of the things that was like embedded in our mind was no matter what you do, do it in excellence. If you're going to pick up trash, do it in excellence. If you're going to preach on the pulpit, do it in excellence. Like not for everybody else watching, but for yourself and for those who you don't think are watching. And so I always, I could be completely alone in the house, but I'm going to pretend there's somebody watching and I'm going to clean or I'm going to do whatever needs to be done the best of my abilities. Um, and how I identify, how I sustain it is I just see everything as an honor. Like it is an honor to be on this podcast. It is an honor to be a founder. It is an honor to be a survivor. It is an honor to be alive. So for me, honor, integrity, and all of those things for me is like, okay, well, I need to be the best then because this is a privilege to be able to do the things that I'm able to do. So I got to treat it that way. And so when I, like even with my board members, you know, I was very, very careful um, with board members and volunteers, you know, I'm, I, I always want to do kind of an interview. And some people are like, well, how do you get, you know, how do you expect for volunteers to want to do an interview with you? Usually they just sign up and they volunteer. And I'm like, well, that's not what I, I don't want somebody to say, oh, I got my volunteer hours in, or I just did a thing today. I want them to feel like, no, I'm truly impacting something and someone. And I want them to carry that being the best because they're capable of doing it. And, um, but to answer your question, how do I find that in people? I really just, I always wanna talk to someone, I'll buy them a coffee, I'll buy them breakfast. I'll, I'll do whatever we gotta do, but I wanna sit with them face to face. Not just an email correspondence, not just a phone call. I wanna see them face to face um, or Zoom, cause we're now, well, there's a lot of Zoom <laughs> um, with things. And I want to know where is your heart at? Why fuse? Do, yeah. Are you sure you align with us? You know, I want to make sure they're aligned with us. Um, you know, because they may not be. They may not. They may just want to have the volunteer hours. And that may um, eliminate uh, a magnitude of volunteers. You know, some people want like 100 volunteers. And maybe we can only get 50. Well, I'd take the 50 over the 100. Because that means that those 50 are going to do their best. And they're really aligned with our heart and our vision and our, and our mission. Yeah, that's so good. Oh my gosh. What a great lesson for leaders to kind of take because that's exactly what we should be doing when we're interviewing. Take them to coffee, meet with them face to face, see how they treat the service person, see how they treat the barista. Because <laughs> guess what? If they treat them bad, they're going to ultimately treat your company bad. And so yeah. watching them like in a domain, you know, of how they're treating people, I think it's huge. And then making sure they actually align with your company, you know, why us? Like you said, why us? Like, what's your story? And so as leaders, we should always be asking those questions, which is, is so huge. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, where, what was your transformational moment? It sounds like the discipleship program was part of that. Uh, but your transformational moment of saying, I'm always going to be the best. Right. So, and I love, I love the four agreements because one of them is always do your best. And, but yet I see a lot of people not doing their best. Right. And it seems to be getting worse and worse with our culture right now. It's almost like a standard of non-excellence. Right. And so can you talk about that? Because 
how can, like, as we're, we're talking to people right now, how can we, first of all, empower them to be empowered to do their best? And then second, how can they uh, make sure that they are uh, getting people around their inner circle too? Because that'll rub off on you as well too, right? Bringing around yeah. people that don't do their best. Yeah. Um, what was transformational for me was the discipleship program because I learned a lot of my capabilities instead of my disadvantages. You know, do I have just weaknesses? Do I have disadvantages? 100%. Do I have triggers? You know, in reality, if I were to really look at it, should be I should I be a founder of an organization with some of the stuff that I've had I've gone through or I've done to cope? Probably not. But I had someone for nine months say, "You are more than enough, and you're way qualified to do this, and you're going to be able to do it." We just you got to put the disciplines there, and you got to do the work. And that's the thing is, you got to do the work. You know, um, and, and, and for somebody to say, well, Monica, I can't, you know, like your question, Monica, I can't do this. I am not empowered. You know, so, um, being empowered isn't something that, you know, just happens. You got to work to be empowered. If I just founded the organization and I just sat here and I didn't do the trainings, I didn't listen to the testimonials. I didn't hear people's stories. I'd probably still be sitting at a desk hoping that somebody looks at us it wasn't until right when i started getting a lot of my healing because you know the my first year of the organization we treaded very slowly because i wasn't willing to do the work i didn't know if it was going to be triggering i didn't know how it was all going to be about mm -hmm. once that switch happened to me i was educating myself and i was and even the days like even recently even recently i was like okay how the heck are we going to do this this year i have a goal and i'm like what then I got to take a step back and be like, no, 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 I can do this. What do I need to make it happen? And empowering is the work, you know, I have to make, for me, it's, I make my list. Okay. In order to reach a hundred thousand dollar goal, I need to do X amount of events, X amount of donors need to donate, like creating the plan, making this big, 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 big dream or this big, big, big need and breaking it down. And you're going to see that in Sound of Freedom. You're going to see the unique, actually, my husband was the one who pointed it out. You're going to see the uniqueness of Sound of Freedom. Because most people will say, well, human trafficking is too big. I don't want to have this conversation. I can't save them all. It is what it is. But you're going to see in, in the movie where he goes after the one person. And I don't want to spoil it for you or anybody else who hasn't seen it. But you're going to see the uniqueness of that. And that's the same for us. I could have, I, we could have done this whole programming, built this entire organization for the last three years for one girl. That's enough for me. That was the goal, was that one girl. Now, are we getting more than one girl? Absolutely. But making the plan and not making this big, big thing swallow you whole instead of flipping it and saying, okay, what are the steps that I need to get there for this school? And then the next school and then the next school. And as you break it down smaller, you're gonna have more confidence. You're gonna feel more qualified. You're gonna be more um, um, excited as you, mark off those goals, which then brings that empowerment feeling like I can totally do this. Um, and then you're going to just, you know, radiate that empowerment into the people around you and the people around you are going to be like, well, you, why, how are you being so successful? And how are you okay with this whole thing? I want what you're doing. And then yeah. being able, being, being a good, um, leader and being able to say, Hey, come alongside of me and let's link arms. Yeah.
It's so good. It's, you know, the law of the buy-in, people buy into the leader before they buy into the vision. And so are you like empowered enough to really own your vision so that you can give that? And, and that didn't happen to you until you were actually healed. And it goes back to empowered people, empower people, heal mm -hmm. people, heal people. And yeah. so I think this is the same thing as with leaders, like we've got some triggers and some healing that we need to have. So for instance, you might see, you know, I, I mostly coach salon owners. And so you might see a salon owner because they left a bad salon, they left a bad leader and they didn't get the healing that they needed. So they became that exact leader or no leader at all and just became friends with all of their staff, which we know that doesn't work out, right? And so can you talk about that? Like how can people, and I love, we, we've talked about this discipleship program, but we didn't really go into depth. But what would be the first step? Like, what would be, I like to call it the small big. So the smallest thing that someone can do that could make the biggest impact right now in their leadership, wherever they're at, whatever they're doing. Take a huge step back. And, you know, for me, you know, in the discipleship program, who was my, who did I want to be like? Well, I want to be more, most Christ-like. So what were their attributes? What did they do to get there? And how can I, you know, how can I do the same? But even in, in, in with the organization, you know, some of my biggest, like Rebecca Bender and some of the OUR with Tim Ballard, you know, those were the people where I want to be the next Tim Ballard. I want to be the next Rebecca Bender. I want to be the next 821 founder. And I studied and studied and studied, and I was able to swallow my pride and say, this is, I, I'm not, I can't recreate the wheel. I'm going to learn and I'm going to, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to really be a student. And then, um, you know, and when I took a step back, that's what I did. And, and that's what I encouraged those to do. But then having confidence around you and having the right people around you to keep you accountable to say, okay, hey, did you create your new social media account? You know, if it's a salon leader, did you create a new social media? Have you been taking photos? Have you registered for that cutting class with Sam Via? You know, are you refining your skills? Having somebody that's gonna keep you accountable, not in a demeaning way or condescending way, but somebody who's gonna keep you accountable and encourage you and be your biggest cheerleader and who's also gonna continue to support you the correct people around you is really, really important. If I did not have the people that I have around me or have had around me, I would not be where I am today. And I wouldn't be going where I'm going without them. Yeah. And that's what your nonprofit is doing. You're, you're giving people someone higher, someone to look up to, which is awesome because now you give mm -hmm. them a safe place to be able to do that. Right. Which is huge. And you said something really powerful that I, I want to land on for a minute because there was a definitely a transformational moment for you, Monica, um, that you said you learned of your capabilities instead of your disadvantages. And more and more, I keep reading about things about how victims many times stay as victims because they don't know any other way to get out because they haven't had that transformational moment of, wait a minute, this is my capability. This is my potential, right? So sure. help people to maximize, first of all, to discover their potential, right? And then to release their potential and then maximize their potential. So what was your transformational moment? And 
Um, and then also like, how do you recommend for people to do that? Sure. So for me, my transformational moment, again, was in the discipleship program because I got to learn a lot about my traumas and I got to learn a lot of through other leaders. And I was able, you know, my biggest thing was I'm not worthy. I'm not qualified. I'm this little fish and a room full of sharks, you know, and I realized like, there are some things that like, I, I have that either they have or don't have that I 100% can, can really hone in on, you know, and the biggest thing that I, I believe that I, an attribute that I have was like words of encouragement. So like, I will be somebody's biggest cheerleader. Like I'll get on your social media. I'll send you a text. I'll send you an email or I'm going to be like, I love you so much. You're amazing. You can do this. Like, that's just how I've always been because that's something that I felt like I wasn't good enough. And I felt like that was a disadvantage for me. I didn't get that as a kid. Granted, my mom was a phenomenal mom, but she worked all the time. But outside of my mom, I didn't get that often. I didn't get the, you're amazing and you're beautiful and you're this. And so I felt unworthy and unqualified. And I felt like I'm just going to be the next Joe Schmo at some gas station ringing people out when I had dreams of being so much more than that but until I really was like no I like I want this so I'm gonna be that way to others um and then I want to touch bases with the girls specifically in trafficking well a lot of them you know a, a, a question that I was asked one time what the heck am I supposed to put on a resume for the last five years I've been working the streets well they have great customer service they're yeah. good at marketing they're a leader they're, um, they can be organized, you know, as, 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 as sad of a situation is that is a reality. They're servicing customers. So they know they, they need to get the money in order for the trafficker, not to hurt them, abuse them, come after them. So they have to learn how to get the money. They have to learn how to market themselves. They have to learn how to be a leader. They have to learn how to be, um, confident because then they'll get swallowed up with all like other girls in the same industry. You know, they have to be the best of the best. Otherwise, when they go home or they leave wh where they're at, they're going to get hurt and abused. So switching the mindset of, I was in the commercial sex industry, what the heck is an employer going to want to do with me? No, you're great at customer service or you're great at organization. You're great at marketing, you know, and things like that. I Switching, listening to the disadvantages and saying, okay, is this really a disadvantage? Or is this something you're not confident in yet? How can we flip it? and showcase that this is a positive attribute that you have. Absolutely. I think it also goes back to the mere fact of, you know, do your research on whoever you're working for. And, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I'm, I'm born to do this, you know, and they're going to see that passion, you know, that you have, you know, remember that leaders are people too. And they just want people that love them and yeah. they want people that love their company. And they're like, okay, you're hired. And which takes me back to God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And I truly believe the greatest people in this world, the greatest leaders in this world, the nonprofits that have excelled and really grown are people like you, Monica, people like me who never felt qualified, right? And so just 
like almost that uh, self-hatred, if you will, either from a victim or from just a mindset, just an attitude, maybe um, something that was, you know, transferred to you from family members, right? And so I, I've been talking with a lot of people uh, over the last few years that have really suffered from a lot of anxiety and depression and even Christians, right? And so it's like, wow, you know, where is this coming from? So how can you help people? How do you help people to switch that mindset of, oh, you know, I'm just a nobody to no, I'm a somebody like, what's what's your what does your program do to help people to realize that no, I am somebody like God made me somebody I am fused, right? And so how do you what's like the first part of your program to help people to start going down that road? Um, counseling. Yeah, <laughs> counseling 100%. But, we yeah. want them we well, first of all, we have to understand the trauma, we have to understand the triggers, we have to understand the insecurities. And then we break that all down, and then rebuild with what we got and what, where we're, they're going. And so, you know, I, there's, you know, a specific survivor that comes to mind. I mean, I mean, you could just, you could feel the anxiety, the depression, you can feel the insecurities. Yeah. Um, and once I was like, well, what, once we got through a lot of the trauma and insecurities and she was able to tell us her story, it's like, well, what do you love? Mm. What, what what is something when you where where do you feel the safest where do you feel the most excited and they lit up being able to talk about when they worked at an animal shelter i'm like okay so then what can we do now to get you to go get back into that place of safety and encouragement and confidence and so we started with equine therapy they had the option of doing regular therapy one-on-one -on -one counseling or equine. So we're like, okay, well, what better way to have somebody who loves animals, who wants to eventually work with animals again, let's get them, you know, provide them their equine therapy. So working with the horses and things and then moving forward, um, what, what were other things that we could do to support that? Well, do they have their GED or their high school diploma? Yes or no? Well, she did. Okay, let, let's get you some pre-courses. If you want to be a vet tech, how can we get you certified? You know, and, and, and providing a way like, okay, let's build a resume that's going to help you get a job as a vet tech or working at a, a veterinarian office. Or if you want to be a veterinarian, we got to break down what is needed for that and make it seem tangible. Make it, not make it seem, but show them that the reality is they can achieve to become what they're wanting to be. Um, and so hopefully that answered your question. Oh, good. Yeah, it, it's so true. Like I always say, if you don't go within, you're going to go without, and you're going to keep recycling and you'll become like this job hopper, if you will. And so I love that you're going into the trauma and the triggers because, you know, as a business owner, um, we have to deal with a lot of team members on our team that haven't done that. And so quite frankly, like they become poison to your company. 
And then you're like, oh my gosh, right? And so um, we actually started providing free counseling to not only our students in our Paul Mitchell schools, but also to our staff members for that very reason, because we know that if you can get, you know, help with that trauma triggers, anything that happened, right, in your life, that you'll become a better, um, you know, advocate, if you will, or ambassador for our company, right? So team members. Yeah. And which I think is so huge. So talk to that person right now that's thinking, oh, I think I might have some traumas. Maybe I even had some exploitation that happened in my life. And I didn't realize that that actually affected me now and, um, and what's happening. So what would be the first step that they could do, A? Um, and then B, how can they get involved with your organization to also help to serve or even be a part of it to start receiving therapy in your organization? Sure. So something, so for that person who, you know, may be struggling and, okay, I need to get some help or, you know, the first thing that I would say is take a deep breath, mm-hmm. <laughs> take a deep breath and know that a lot of these things that happen to us, it's not our fault. You know, we do a lot of self-sabotage and we have a lot of unforgiveness for ourselves. Um, and we won't look with, you know, we, we, we blame ourselves a lot. Um, and I say, get it, get into, into therapy, get into counseling. You know, it's become a taboo. It's become like, Oh, if you go to counseling, you're mentally unstable. i continuously do counseling and therapy. And I've been out of the very emergent um, state of mind for a while now, but I do it as maintenance. And because I listen to things and I do trainings and I, and I witness a lot of things that I'm like, well, I got to make sure that my maintenance is good. I got to make sure that, you know, I'm keeping up with my mental health. You know, it meant taking care of your mental health is extremely important and being successful, whether that be, whether you do spiritually, whether you do a Christian counselor or faith counselor, or whether you go to a counselor, you know, whatever it may look like, counseling and therapy is such a must and such a necessity because if I see it as, um, well, in, in, in the discipleship program, we learn tanks. So if your emotional and mental state of mind is down, your tank is on empty, then your physical and your um, spiritual is going to be the same. All of everything works together. So if we're unhealthy in our mind and in our mental health and our emotions, we're going to start, we can mask it for so long. And then eventually you're going to see it start affecting our physical bodies. You're going to start seeing it affect our, our spiritual um, health and things like that. Um, So I always say get into counseling, get into therapy, and then um, really get, again, people are so important. Get some people around you, get an accountability person. Somebody who's going to say, Hey, you know, I have that one of my board members, um, almost weekly, every other week, she's like, okay, I'm asking for you, not as a board member. How is Monica doing today? Yeah. Where are you at today? How's your week been? Like having those people around you that you're saying, Hey, I need to sit down with you, take them the coffee or bring them to your house and say, I'm asking you, will you be my accountability person? Will you check, help me? And will you check in on me? And will you be that person for me? And let's say let's, for the next couple months. And then you may not need that as yeah. often as you thought you would. Um, and somebody who wants to get involved with us as a volunteer or as an ally, 
you know, we have different ways, you know, the best way is the free way. You can um, get on our email list, go to imfuse.org, sign up for our emails. You can also um, go on our social media. We have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash imfuse inc, I believe. And then on Instagram, we are imfuse with periods in between the F-U-S um, and you can find us there. It's a black logo with a pink light bulb um, with some florals on it. So social media and email list for sure. Then those who says, you know what, I want to do more than that. You know, I, I want to do more. We always um, say, you know, give the gift of freedom, partner with us and connect with us. And we, you can go on our website, iinfused.org and give a one-time gift gift you can become a monthly um giver um and and things like that and then another way that they can get involved especially locally in southwest florida is we have a gala coming up september 30th um we have a gala and they can become a sponsor they can attend the event they you know you can give word of mouth and tell people hey there's this organization um and then lastly you can book me to come and train your staff um, you can come book me to um, speak to your students, or your staff members, or your business owners. Maybe you have a mom's group. You know, maybe you're a part of MOPS. Maybe um, it's, you know, a community group. It doesn't have to necessarily be a church or a business. It can be, as long as it's more than um, five people, you know, you can book me and we can do a training or um, and, a, and a community event. And that's another way that you can support us and be a part of us. Or then if you're a survivor and you're saying, Monica, I need some help. I'm in Florida, not just Southwest Florida, but I'm in Florida um, and I need some services. We do have some options for online services that we can do like GED test prep, accountability, mentorship and counseling. And then Southwest Florida, uh, if you want more hands-on than that, then we only service currently Southwest Florida and we can do with the uh, rental assistance, the equine therapy, the one-on-one -on -one counseling in person and things like that. And all they have to do is um, they can text IMFUSE to 239 Four zero four nine four seven five, and they can go on our website, um, the imfuse.org, and they can contact us or they can email us at info at imfuse.org. I love it so much, and what the most, the, what I love the most is you training our staff and our students in this, mm -hmm. and then them being empowered to actually speak up. Right, and that's the whole goal is be empowered to speak up. So um, I ha I'll have one last question for you and I'm so sad this is over because it's so good. I feel like we're just getting warmed up. Monica, thank you, thank you <laughs> for doing this. It's incredible. Thank you. And one last question I have for you. Um, one last piece of advice that you've been wanting to tell people that they need to know right now to be empowered, what would you say to them? empowered in general or empowered with the current situation with human trafficking yeah i think both let's do both okay I like um, it. one thing to be empowered is um well, i'm so sorry repeat the question one more time for me yeah one la last a last piece of advice that you would give people that you feel that they need to know to just be empowered and when i think of being empowered i, I think of I'm free to be empowered to speak up, A, um, but also um, in your, in your IMFUs and sex trafficking and, and general exploitation, um, sure. what advice would you give for that as well? Okay, so for an individual, one last advice that I would say is use your strengths to your biggest advantage yeah. and continue to do the work. Continue to wake up 
when you need to wake up, put the disciplines in, do the small little steps that are going to build the great habits for you to then be so disciplined and so strong and so confident. And if you, in time, they're going to see their success and they're truly going to see, wow, you know, every day I woke up and spent 10 minutes reading uh, an informational book. And now I'm done with this book and I know more now than I did. So sorry, than I did, um, you know, just a month ago from reading the book and then somebody and in, in trafficking, you know, being empowered. Um, I say, use your voice. If you're an ally, use your voice. That voice can be electronically online, sharing information, sharing facts and statistics. Um, your voice can be um, providing safety for someone. And then as a survivor, use your voice because you have one you know so often we say be a voice to the voiceless was something that was really powerful and i've been guilty of this i've said i let's be voice to the voiceless and then i was in a training that set me straight and in this training was there we always had a voice just was there anybody willing to listen so as an ally be willing to listen to the voice and then as a survivor be willing to speak up even when nobody's listening when you think nobody's listening so good. Monica, thank you. God bless you. Thank you so God much. Bless nonprofit. Thanks for being on today. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.